Jeff, if you're new to Crossview, you don't know me, but actually I'm a part of this church family. I've been on sabbatical for two months, and, um, and I, I saw Marty this week. I heard it was great. I, you guys were great for Marty and Sherry, and I know Marty blessed you, but um, I do want to, per- I could personally thank all of you face-to-face. Our family could thank you for the gift of sabbatical, but just some of my excitement for being back um, you know, while we were on sabbatical, we did go to church, and we went to The Rock, which you saw some of the people from The Rock, and the, we, we've been partnering with The Rock. Jerry Wright's the pastor just on the road, and they were with us for VBS, and we've done stuff with them. But uh, our, our family attended there, and I have a buddy who's a pastor at a free church in Rockford, so we went out there. We were at some different churches, and, and Jay, along the way, was like, I'm just ready to go back to our church. So we missed you guys. You mean a lot to us. And the 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 story I'll tell you to kind of reinforce this or, or as a kind of a, an illustration. But as our first morning at the Grand Tetons, you know, we're just Midwestern suburbanites. We like, you know, we're not out in the woods where there's like real bears. You know? so, so it's like our first hike and we, we did not get up early enough at Glacier. That's a different story. But we got up real early at Grand Tetons and we're like one of the first 10 to 20 cars in the parking lot. And a lot, I know some of you have been there and there's Jenny Lake and you can take a boat or hike around the lake and then go up to these hidden falls and then Inspiration Point. And we were going to hike, or we love to hike, so we're going to hike around the lake, and it's, there's no one else we can see on the trail. And we'd already seen a fox and an otter, so we've already seen some animals just right away, first, first trip out. And we get on the trail, we're about a quarter of a mile in. We haven't seen anybody, you know, you're still feeling like we're all alone in the woods, like where is the Starbucks, like what's going on? And, and there's an elk eating uh, just flowers, like right in front. But it's on the trail. It's not a big trail. And so we kind of have to stop. You know, you can't get too close to the animals. And this, I'm not, I'm not making this up. This thing is chewing on, the, and it looks over and just eye contact. And I'm pretty sure it mouthed the words, you don't belong. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure. And it lowers its head and just starts walking, looks up, and then just walk. And I'm like, okay, we got to back up. So we're like backing up. And, you know, it's like a, wide, like a windy little trail. And so... You get around a corner, and then you look to see, has is it, is it gone off the trail? It's just still, it's every, every time we look, it just keeps coming. And we're starting to get a little freaked out, like, why is this out? Like, what, like what is going on? Like, why is this out coming at us? And we're, and we're even like, maybe we should just, let's just take the boat across. Like, maybe we shouldn't be hiking on this trail. And you start to feel the aloneness, a little bit like out of the ordinary, and then all of a sudden, another family comes down the trail. Have you ever been in a situation like that where just the presence of other people just gives you courage that you were lacking on your own? We're like, we're fine, it's an elk, and then the thing got off the trail, and we hiked, and then we saw a moose, you know, it's just like, but I don't know, it feels like a little bit like that for me this morning. Like, I'm coming back, and it just feels good to be with you, and I'm encouraged, and I'm ready for what's next. I hope you're feeling that too. That's why we need each other. There's so much that gets drawn out of us because of other people. Um, So we need each other. And if you don't have a church home, you are welcome here across you. We would love to have you be a part of our community. Now we're in this series and we've been in it for a year. We don't normally do this, but we've been preaching through the church calendar. Uh, And I think Marty just kept it going. I gave him some hard passages, so I don't think he's too mad at me. I I look at the passage every week, I don't don't know how Marty's going to preach this. I'm glad it's Marty. But we're in ordinary time, and, uh, and I'll talk more about it. We've, I've been presenting this as a discipleship tool. I think it's important. I'll talk about that maybe in some other Sundays just to remind us. But one of the main reasons, and even what our graphic is representing, is that we want to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. 
mean, we are all in on Jesus. We think it's important to keep Jesus at the center. But what we like to talk about here is you and I are always being formed. We're always being scripted by a story. You can be scripted by this story. You can journey with the church. You can, you can journey together and be scripted by the story of the people of God, of what God has done to bring creation into existence and then to redeem that which is broken and, and what it means for the future. Jesus is kind of the, the clue in the middle of the story that tells us how it's all going to unfold, and it's good news. But, but there's other stories that are circulating in our world, right? Lots of stories, some of them saturated with fear. We, you know, but some of the main, most powerful stories, which deal with fear and other things, but a lot of self-indulgence, is the story, this narrative of consumerism, right? And so if you and I aren't careful, if we're just kind of blindly walking through life, you and I will be scripted, we'll be formed by a story that we, we, we arrange our time around what am I getting and what is it time to purchase? Oh, this is the season that I buy this for me. Oh, this is the season that I buy it. You understand, that's, like, that's, a, that's one of the main stories out there. Don't let that script you. We want to keep Jesus at the center. We want, to, we want to remind ourselves of who God is and his love for us. So that's what we're doing going through the church calendar. And we are now in Luke chapter 13. We're just kind of following the book of common prayer this year. Again, we don't normally do it, but we'll be doing it up until Advent. And we're in Luke 13, and I'm going to pick up in verse 10. We have a Sabbath healing story this week, though we're going to focus more on Jesus' response to the opposition. You'll even see it in the story. Marty, I think last week, talked about division and how Jesus is coming to bring division. I didn't hear it yet, but I heard it was a great sermon, so I heard uh, But you'll even see here how Jesus is stirring up division. The story's going to end with division. Next week, we have a Sabbath day healing story, too, I think. Another Sabbath story. So Luke 13, verse 10. One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, teaching in a, in a And you can even imagine, I've actually I had the privilege to go to Israel, and I was in a first century synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus literally was. I don't know if it's this one, but he was. And it, it's not a huge place. It's probably about as big as from here to maybe the back and maybe just this section. Like, that's... Uh, that's about the size of the synagogue. And Jesus is, you got to imagine this because it's a pretty awkward thing that's going to unfold. So he's teaching and he sees a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. So we don't know if it's arthritis. The the literal text says it's a a spirit of weakness. It's kind of like this unknown diagnosis. Maybe maybe it was mental, but she's, she's bent double, the text. She's like bent over. She can't really stand up straight. It's some kind of they don't know. It just is going on. She's 18 years, the text says, unable to stand up straight. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over. He said, dear woman, you are, you are healed of your sickness. Or, we'll keep reading, maybe you would even hear Jesus say, you're free. Setting you free. Because maybe, one of the things I like to do as I read through the Gospels, I want to enter into the stories, the real stories, but I want to find my place in the story. And, and sometimes I can, I can picture myself as somebody who's bent double. I don't know if you can. Maybe physically, because I'm getting older. You know, you hit 40 and there goes your back, right? But, but also uh, mentally sometimes, emotionally, spiritually, I just you feel like that. I, I can't stand up straight, just walk around. Like, I feel, maybe you feel that too. Maybe this, maybe this morning Jesus wants to say to you, you're healed. Be free. I'm going to set you free. So listen. Listen for his voice. 
text says he touched her. He put his hand on her shoulder. And instantly, this is what Jesus does, the power of Jesus. Instantly, she stands up straight. And she begins to praise God. This is, that's not, you said it's awkward. That's not, no, that's not awkward. This is what gets awkward. So Jesus is a traveling rabbi. He's an itinerant teacher. He travels around and he teaches the message of the kingdom of God. The good news is breaking into our midst. And Jesus is the king. And so he's teaching this message. But there's another local leader. He's the leader of the synagogue. And guess what? He's not thrilled. He doesn't like that Jesus just healed this woman on the Sabbath. Verse 14, so the woman's praising God and the leader is indignant. He's angry that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And it's kind of actually, I mean, it's just kind of, I just tried to imagine like it's awkward. Jesus is teaching, he heals this woman, and then the leader says, and it says he says it to the crowd, not even to Jesus, like how passive aggressive. There are six days in the week for working. Come on the day, those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. Right? Many of you are familiar with this, but some of you maybe are newer to church. So, so it's, it's believe you, you don't do work. On, there's a lot of reasons why, but you don't do work on the Sabbath. We can get a long conversation. But it's not even an ancient thing. You understand? It's not even an ancient thing. Uh, when I went to Israel, we were there on a Sabbath. I, I've shared this with, with you before, but if you stay in a hotel on the Sabbath, the, the elevator stops today, stops on every floor because pushing a button is work. <laughs> You understand this, this idea, it's, it hasn't left, it's still there. And so, so the, the, the leader of the synagogue is really worked up about this. And, and really, I think the text is focusing in on, on this response, this, this opposition, and then we're, we'll focus on Jesus' response. And at first, you're going to be like, man, why'd I come for this? But you'll like it, just hang in there, it's good news. Jesus is always good news. Verse 15, which will be our, kind of our, it'll be our launching point. Jesus, the Lord, replied, you hypocrites. That's what we're not about hypocrisy. Aren't you happy you're here today? Hypocrisy. You hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, and, and kind of understand what Jesus is saying. She's been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Jesus is saying, you have untie your ox and your donkey on the Sabbath. Why can't I untie this woman from her bondage? Why can't I set her free? Even on this, in fact, I mean, this is one of the things that Jesus is doing because he is the ultimate expression of who God is, and he's always redefining everything. Repent, repent, rethink everything in light of Jesus. Re- rethink the Sabbath. You guys don't understand the Sabbath. In fact, if you understood the Sabbath, it's not about not doing anything. It's about life. It's about redemption, restoration, new life, resurrection. That's what the Sabbath is about, entering into the ultimate rest of God. Jesus, you don't even understand the Sabbath, and so he's teaching them. And it brings shame to his enemies. Now, generally in the biblical text, when it says shame, it means, and I think it's important for us to keep in mind, it means that shame in the the biblical text means that we have trusted in the wrong things. We've believed promises that will not be delivered, and so we look stupid. We, we're disgraced. We're ashamed. It's kind of the narrative all the way from Adam and Eve. That's, that's what the Bible will talk a lot about false gods or idolatry. You trust a false god who promises things. And you and I do this all the time with money or power, all kinds of entertainment. We try, my life will be perfect and better and I'll have peace and purpose. Oh, but it didn't deliver. And now we're ashamed and we're disgraced. That's why Jesus is awesome. Because Jesus comes through on every promise he makes. 
And so we trust him wholeheartedly because we know we'll never be disgraced. Jesus has ended shame for us because we've, we've built our life on who he is and we'll never be ashamed. He will never let us down. That's who Jesus is. But all the other people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. So now you have this division. And again, can't you imagine like what an, what an awkward church service <laughs> One of you healing somebody, somebody else is mad, and then it's like somebody's praising another, indignant, like, well, it'll be a weird day, awkward, awkward, awkward. I'm going to talk about a few things. First, I just want to, we're, we're going to focus on verse 15 and Jesus and hypocrites and what he means by that. But I do, because I'm going to come back to this at the end, I want to point out that this woman, and I'll say this now, I, one of the things that I've said frequently here at Crossview is we want to be a church that says, come as you are, but don't stay where you are. And I'll unpack that even more as we go through this morning. But wherever you're at, come as you are. This woman is bent double. Doesn't look the best. She probably hurts. Doesn't move real well. Everybody else is standing straight. She's like this. But she still shows up at church. It's a synagogue, but you know what I mean. She shows up with the people of God. So wherever you're at, come as you are. Come as you are, but don't stay where you are. Now, it may be immediate because God can do that, but it may take a little bit longer. Often the discipleship journey does, but journey with us. Don't stay where you are. Learn the way of love. Learn the way of Jesus. Learn the way of wisdom. Learn the abundant life. She comes to church or the synagogue. Come to church. Bring your imperfections. We'll talk about that at the end. But I want to talk about hypocrites. Jesus says, you hypocrites. I want you to understand what he means by hypocrites. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. And I do want to just say this at the front end, that life can get bad. Or maybe I'll just say religious communities, we're a part of a religious community, religious communities can get sick when they get infected with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a problem. It's one of Jesus' main themes. And in fact, if you read through the Gospels, which I highly recommend, it may be one of the things that irritated Jesus the most. Again and again and again, he gets frustrated with hypocrisy. Jesus had compassion for sinners falling short. Tons of compassion. People who know they're a sinner. People who know they're in need of God's grace and mercy. People who are honest about where they really are and what they're really struggling with. Imperfect people Jesus has a ton of compassion for. But he gets so mad at people who play the game of religion as a mask. People who pretend to be something that they're not. People who accuse others of their same sins while hiding their sins from everyone else. That's what Jesus is basically getting at. You are nicer to your ox and your donkey than you are to this woman, a daughter of Abraham. What is wrong with you? You are accusing me of things that you are doing yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's jump to the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's the greatest sermon that was ever preached. You can find it in the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, uh, chapters 5 to 7. Every Christian should be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. It is that important. It is, it, it does so much to articulate for us the life that Jesus is calling us to. And it is challenging and beautiful and joyous all in one. I mean, you'll read it, wow, it's a a high calling, but it's awesome. And it's what Jesus is calling us to. And if you read through chapter 5, there's a lot in chapter 5, but one of the things that Jesus is going to do is he's going to talk about some of the bad things that we can do that get in the way of the abundant life, the the life that God wants for us, a, a life of human flourishing. 
So he's going to walk through and he's going to talk about adultery or, or anger or, or retaliation and vengeance, right? No, you know, you love your, you love your enemies. That's, what, you know, that's a high call, love your enemies. But that's what he's going to do. And then we're going to get into chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we're, gonna, we're just going to, we could read verses 1 to 18, but because I'm kind of popping out of Luke 13, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4. In chapter 6, Jesus is going to walk through some good things for now, and I'll come back to this. He, acts of righteousness, we can call them habits or rhythms or, or routines or maybe even skills. That they're good things that can also get in the way of living this Jesus life, the life God intends. Jesus is going to say a good thing, if done in a wrong way, can get in the way of us becoming who God wants us to be. A good thing done in the spirit of hypocrisy is damaging to your soul. That's what Jesus is going to say. He's going to talk about uh, giving. And that's what we'll read. And then he also goes on, you can read on your own, talk about prayer and fasting. So uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. I'm reading this and you'll see, so that you understand what he means when he says, you hypocrites. So you understand, it's it's pretty clear. Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. In other words, don't do good things for an audience. We'll talk about it. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. And this is where I think Jesus is awesome, because he's funny sometimes. Don't blow trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I'm giving! I'm giving, everybody! I'm like Sarah jumping up here. I'm giving! Don't do that. He's funny. Jesus is funny. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, and we'll talk about this, this kind of almost like lack of self-consciousness. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. No, give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, because he sees everything, he knows everything. You can pretend, but God knows. He already knows. He sees and he knows. He knows what's going on in your heart. doesn't matter what you do. God knows. And he can reward you with the greatest gift. He will bless you with life and love and mercy and forgiveness and peace. But as we often say, he will only meet you where you really are. He won't meet you where you think you should be. He's never over there. He's only where you really are. And if you're going to play a game of hypocrisy, you're always going to be over here pretending God's always going to be able to come home where you really are. I love who you are. Let me, let me work with who you really are. A hypocrite, literally, in Jesus' day, was just an actor on a stage. And so you can kind of see in the context here, Jesus, as he's talking about hypocrisy, is, is kind of talking about spirituality almost as, as, a, as a form of theater. You're doing things for an audience. You're doing things to be seen. In other words, I do want to say hypocrisy is not simply failing to live all that you confess to believe. Uh, what does John say in 1 John? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all fall short of what we confess to believe. 
We won't be fully like Jesus until he returns and makes us whole again. And so we're all, as we'll talk about, on this journey together. So hypocrisy is not saying, well, I believe in loving my enemies, but I failed to do it. No, hypocrisy is, is pretending, putting on a show while you know you're a fraud, right? It's a form of theater. It's something we act out or play out. And again, you can think that this is like goes back to the first century. It's not. It still finds its way into today. It's not even that. I mean, I was even reading, one of the authors I was reading is, is in England. And I'm guessing America was like this too, but this guy was just talking about England. Uh, years back, but it used to be that Sundays were very similar to Saturdays and the Jewish faith for Christian Sundays. And so in, in England, in London, you didn't want to be doing things outside wanted to appear like you weren't doing anything. And so there was a cartoon of a little girl playing with her hoop on the street on a Sunday out in front. And you can picture there's an anxious father worried about what the neighbors may say. And he tells his little girl that she, she needs to go into the back garden to play with the hoop because it's Sunday. And the little girl asked her dad, well, isn't it Sunday in the back garden too? I mean, that's the whole thing. It's just you're managing your, you understand, you're managing your appearance. You're performing. You're not really going to do it, but you want to look like you are. And this is what I want to start to get into. The subtle danger of hypocrisy is that it can look similar to discipleship. Now, I know you don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't either. We want, we want to be disciples. That's why we're here. We want to learn from Jesus, this Jesus life. But, if, if, but follow me here. Christian hypocrisy and Christian discipleship, there's, subtly, we can fool ourselves because, because both are trying to imitate Jesus. Both are trying to imitate Jesus, but the reasons are radically different. One is imitating Jesus to perform, and one is imitating Jesus because they just want to be transformed. <laughs> just want to be like Jesus. One is playing a part in a play, playing a role, and the other wants to be like Jesus. So let me, I, I heard it illustrated this way, and it stuck with me. One of the big movies this year was Top Gun. I haven't seen it yet, but a lot of people have seen Top Gun. I heard it's a good movie. But let's think about Tom Cruise, right? Tom Cruise is famous, right? It's his second time around being Maverick at Top Gun. Tom Cruise, I'm going to break this to you. I did a little research to make sure. Uh, Tom Cruise is a good actor, plays maybe the coolest pilot ever. He can't fly a fighter jet. He can't fly a fighter jet. So if you go to an airport and Tom Cruise is there and there's a fighter jet and Tom Cruise has got that big smile, come fly, don't, go, don't do it. <laughs> Only get in a jet with somebody who's actually been to the academy because Tom Cruise is just playing a part. So that's kind of an abstract. Let's, let's take it a little closer. I don't know if anybody's done a, a movie of Mother Teresa. Maybe, maybe they will someday. But, but you understand, the difference between a hypocrite and a disciple is kind of like the difference between a, a lady who, who wants to be, who's an actress, and she wants to play the part of Mother Teresa, and so she mimics her talking style, and she puts on the same clothes, and she memorizes the same prayers so that she can act and perform for an audience, versus a lady who says, I'm going to move to Calcutta, India and serve with the Sisters of Charity. You understand there's a huge difference, right? And that's what Jesus is getting at. Don't play the part. Don't try to view who you are through the eyes of the people around you. Don't perform. Don't pretend. No, be the real deal. <laughs> Don't play the part, but be the real deal. 
Let me say it this way, too. Our righteousness, because I think it's important to clarify, our righteousness, Jesus then goes on to talk about the self-consciousness and not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Our righteousness really isn't intended to be hidden from others, but it does seem to be intended to be hidden from ourselves. You understand what I'm saying? Because Jesus earlier in Matthew says, well, let your light shine before others. If you're doing good deeds, people are going to see But you need to know, and the Father knows, whether or not you're doing them to be seen or you're just doing them because you're following Jesus. It's because it's what Christians do. There are certain habits and routines, and you could even say skills, acts of righteousness that are just obvious fruit of following Jesus, and so you just do it. You don't think about it. You do this in other areas of life. You may not realize it, but you do. Let me give you an example. A lot of skills, when we first learn it, like driving a car, we get really excited. My niece called me a few months ago, Uncle Jeff, I got my license. I'm like, woohoo, awesome, I'm so excited. Tell everybody, it's so fun. But as we get older and we drive more and more, we don't call people that often to tell them we can drive. I mean, imagine pulling up next to me at one of these stoplights on Bethany, and I'm like, Roll down your window. I'm driving! Are you kidding me? I'm driving! So what, Jeff? You're a mature, functioning adult. You can drive a car. Okay. Like, that's how you are. You don't think of it. You're not like, I drive. Now, I do need to caveat because first service, somebody just turned 91 and they can still drive. They got their license approved. They were really excited. I'm like, that's cool. All right, that's cool. (laughs) I retract. But you know what I mean. You get the point. You get the point. When it's a new skill, you're very self-conscious. I mean, I I remember like being in the car alone for the first time driving. I remember just driving my high school friends. I thought I was so cool. Now I don't care. (laughs) Let's drive. It kind of gets that way. We, We do the things we do because of who God is and because Jesus did it. So in Matthew 6, 1 to 4, Jesus is talking about giving. We give. Why? Because God is generous. That's why we give. We give because God is generous and we want to be like. We give because Jesus gave. We pray because Jesus prayed. We fast. We read our Bibles. We pray the Psalms because Jesus did. That's why we forgive. We show mercy because Jesus does. We do the things that God did. And we do them. I'm an adult. I drive. I'm a Christian. I forgive. I show mercy. I'm patient. And even as I was even preparing this morning and thinking through things and even what's convicting for me, You know, if I'm going to be the kind of Christian who's like, yeah, I'm not doing this for show. I'm doing this so my left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing because the Father sees me. Then I need to be the kind of husband and father and friend and pastor who forgives and shows you mercy and doesn't care if you see it or not. I know you'll eventually see it because that's how good fruit works in the Spirit. But how many of you in your relationships are like, well, I'm only going to forgive so that you know I forgave? And then you've got to ask yourself, is that hypocrisy and pretending, or is that the real thing? I'm only going to forgive if you forgive me. But I'm only, no, we're, we're growing in maturity. Come as you are, and you may be an infant in this Jesus life. And don't stay there. Grow up. If you want to know the abundant life of Jesus, you have to grow up. You have to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. And we do the things that Jesus did because he did them, not for show or for performance. We don't pretend or try to prove ourselves. We're not trying to win an Oscar to look like a better Christian than anyone else. 
You know, actually, I, uh, I, I've been saying this more and more to new people as they come. And even if I've met somebody before they've come on a Sunday morning, I'll say, you know, you're going to come to church on Sunday. We got a cool church family. I mean, I look at this is a cool church family. And you're going to look around, you're going to be like, man, I don't belong here. Everybody else is perfect, and I'm not. And I, I'm, I always say, I just want you to know, when, when that creeps in, just know nobody's perfect. We're all a train wreck. <laughs> I mean, you get to know any of us, we're a train wreck. But we know Jesus, and so we're a hopeful, healed train wreck. That's what we are. He put us back on the tracks. He can do that for you, too. We don't want to be a church that's performing. A little bit more. So... So, 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 so to ride this metaphor a little bit longer, if you and I got in a car and drove to downtown Chicago to go to a theater, and I, the whole way was telling you, I can drive, I can drive. No, You go down to Chicago, and we go to a theater, and you've got all these amazing actors, and one of them makes a mistake. How awkward will that feel for the actors, for everyone involved, the producer, and everybody watching? Oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. It's a performance. And so you're aiming at perfection. Many of you know this, even as we talk about if we want to do different things with this, the sanctuary and everything, the church is not a performance. We're not coming here to perform. We all make mistakes, but we help each other. We forgive each other. We challenge each other, and we grow together. And one of the byproducts of hypocrisy in religious communities is the false assumption that you and I have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. Let me say that again. You don't have to be perfect. And, if you, and some of you have been a part of a culture or a community or a family or an organization that implied, maybe they never said it, but they implied, you've got to be perfect. And you know, you look in the mirror, you know you're not perfect, so what do you do? You fake it all day. You just pretend to be something that you know you're not. It's a hard way to live. And it's damaging to your soul. It's damaging to a community. And you know, you know enough. You know what happens in churches that give a veneer of perfectionism? Scandal. Always. Why? Because everyone's pretending that there's something they're not. And because you look perfect, I think I got to be perfect. But I know there's all this junk deep in my heart, but I can't let you know it's there. So it just gets worse. And it just infects more and more and more until there's some big scandal. I don't want a scandal. You want a scandal? I don't want a scandal. So let's not aim at perfection, okay? We'll aim at Jesus. Now, Jesus is perfect, but let's be perfect in mercy and love and forgiveness. Let's confess our sins daily, knowing that, yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not like Jesus yet. He's going to come back and he's going to redeem all of us. But I'm still aiming at Jesus every day. I want to be like loving like Jesus and merciful like Jesus. But, but the world doesn't, because the world doesn't need you to be perfect. It really doesn't. It needs you to introduce them to Jesus. That's what the world needs. And if you try to be perfect, you're just fooling everyone. You're not being integral. And there's this monster that is growing within you. And you know how it's going to come out? It's going to come out with, with legalism and judgmentalism and accusations. I mean, it's, it's Jesus gets mad about this hypocrisy thing a lot. In Mark chapter 3, there's another healing on a Sabbath day. And what is, the text says that the Pharisees, listen to this, how, I have compassion on Pharisees because that's a horrible way to live. The Pharisees want Jesus to heal someone on the Sabbath so they can accuse him. How sick is your soul that you're rooting for a miracle? So you can accuse the miracle worker. 
I mean, is, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be people who pretend to be something we're not because God doesn't meet us where we should be. He meets us where we really are. We want to be honest. We want to be vulnerable. We want to be open. We want to be safe. We want to challenge each other. And we, come as you are. Bring all of your imperfections. Bent double, come on in. But then let Jesus help you stand up. You can't do it on your own. Help. He'll help you. He'll heal you so that you can stand up straight. You don't want to be the kind of person who is accusing the other person for not forgiving when you haven't forgiven yourself. I can do that sometimes. I don't want to be that person. That's my interference. We want to be a different kind of person who leads, who just, Father's watching. That's all that matters. You don't have to recognize, but the Father knows. And the reward I'll get from Him is the greatest reward I'll ever get. Let me just close this last minute or two. Philippians chapter 3, this is how Paul says it. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a kind of a closing with a lot of P's because I don't usually do that, but it just worked out that way. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. I haven't. I, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I, I keep my eyes on Jesus. But brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it. I haven't. I, I press on. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, that's the greatest gift, this gift of life, eternal life. This fountain that never runs dry, quenches every thirst, delivers on every promise, gives you hope, peace, purpose, joy, everything we truly want, security, belonging. That's what Paul presses on for. Yes, yes, many, we're all far away from being so pure in love that we would die on the cross for our enemies like Jesus. But we're also far away from where we used to be. Jesus is delivering us and transforming us and, and changing us. So I'll close with this and then I'll pray. You don't have to pretend, perform, prove yourself, or be perfect. Lots of peas. You don't have to pretend, perform, prove yourself, or be perfect. You just have to press on. That's what Paul says. Press on. Practice the Jesus way. Not hypocritically, not to perform, but just because you want to be like Jesus. Because he's amazing and because of what he's done for you. You don't have to pretend, perform, prove, or be perfect. Just press on. Stay on the journey. Practice the Jesus way and he'll heal you. You'll stand up straight because he's beautiful. And you won't be able to take your eyes off of him. I shared this before, but uh, I won't forget this. Last time I taught form, Betsy Musket, part of our church family, was sharing the gospel with somebody. And they were getting excited about Jesus, but they worshiped someone else. And they were like, can I worship this and Jesus? <laughs> and Betsy was like, well, once you get to know Jesus, you won't want to worship anyone else. I think that's so true. If you're getting to know Jesus, once you get to know him, there's no one like him. You won't be able to take your eyes off of him. And I had, I had a, again, a little illustration for my sabbatical, but we were driving. If you've ever been to Glacier National, the, the main road is called Going to the Sun Road. And it's just this beautiful, I mean, I showed you some pictures of just the valleys and the mountains, but it's on the edge and I'm driving. And I kept wanting to look out at the beauty and came in and said, don't look! Do not look at the beauty. You keep your eyes on the road. I'll take it for the team. But I kept laughing. No, don't look. 
And that's how Jesus, you got to, you get, oh, I, I can't not look. I can't not, I'm sorry, I just got to look. Because that's who Jesus is. Amen.